Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Coach Kimberly International, featuring conversations and actionable insights that equip women in STEM to lead in today's VUCA world. Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kimberly Jackson. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Katherine Stanley, CEO and co-founder of Holonix Leadership and Organization Development in Boston, Massachusetts. Katherine finds deep satisfaction in helping clients change their mental models so they can adapt and thrive in even the most unexpected circumstances. She has worked to build, steward, and transform human systems for more than 25 years as a consultant, coach, and leader, assisting individuals, teams, and whole organizations in breaking through impasses to find greater clarity and success. As a Harvard Business School executive coach in the Advanced Management and Owners and Presidents programs, it is routine to hear that working with her has been life-changing for those she coaches. Catherine also mentors and trains business coaches and consultants in a variety of psychological processes and assessment tools that serve as catalysts for renewal in organizations around the world. For Catherine's full bio, please check out our show notes below. Catherine, welcome, and thank you for joining me today. I'm so happy to be asked by you to do this. Thanks, Kimberly. Yeah, happy to be here. And I had the pleasure of being one of your students in a course on psychological safety. So I know firsthand how wonderful you are and how much I learned. Um, And for listeners who know me, I'm a learning addict. And so I, I just loved every minute of it. So what I'd like to do now is invite our listeners to take a seat and enjoy our virtual fireside chat. Um, as Catherine's going to share a little bit about like her leadership journey, philosophy, and any advice she might want to share as a result. And so we'll just have a, a free flow conversation, but Catherine, where would you like to begin? You know, your question about leadership has been making me think, and I think leadership is really kind of a state of mind. It's a way you give yourself agency as a human being. And so from that perspective, I've had leadership roles since I was quite young, and it usually revolves around having some sort of a vision, a deeper purpose, an idea about something that would be cool, you know, something that, and for me, it's been about community and other people, um, you know, from an early age. uh, And so that's been really fun to think about in terms of a leadership model, even though for many years, I didn't think of myself like that as a leader, you know, being someone sort of born, you know, in the late sixties, it's, it's, you know, women weren't like, you're a leader, you know, seven-year-old girl. Right. (laughs) So, but I, but the qualities that I now understand about leadership, having studied it and then created doctoral programs around it, um, show me that it's a, it's a kind of mindset about how do I shape things in the world, what's needed in the world, and how can I make that better? And so I kind of bring that perspective to my different roles. 
And as a result of that, that agency to say wherever I've been, um, what if we do this? Or I see this need here because I'm really paying attention to the system around me and how others are feeling um, emotionally as well as how things are functioning. I've always been able to look at systems like that, almost like if you could take them and just see them in the in whole and how would you change them? And then raising that to leaders and also be willing to roll up my sleeves and do the work. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've assumed a lot of leadership roles in life, you know, um, and of course that's been challenged to, um, you know, to, for me to evolve my personality and who I am and how I come off to people. Of course, you get a lot of feedback when you engage with human systems in the arena, so to speak. I'm sure you've experienced that too, Kimberly, being... Yes, absolutely. You know, it's an interesting comment about leadership and like, I have a dear friend, John Maxwell, who many, many, many years ago, when he said to me, well, leaders are not born, they're made. Yeah. And I thought, he's right. (laughs) And yet some people have a natural affinity to it. And I think a lot of that connects with, like you were saying, things being a mindset, Mm. right? Do they have the mindset of a lifelong learner? Mm. You know, my my friends and family love to tease me and say I'm a learning addict. It's probably right. Um, Thank goodness for me. I never would have met you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know. Um, So what do you think about that mindset, being a lifelong learner, and how that has you naturally rise and step up and fill a gap if there's a gap to be filled with leaders? I think that's really true. I think it is about learning. And I think it's about being interested in your environment. And, you know, curiosity is probably my number one, one of my number one strengths is being really curious and how does this work? Um, and I think I'm a highly energetic person too, who has a lot of different passions. And so they lead you into venues in the world. Right. And by having that curiosity, maybe even before agency and, and that wanting to learn, I ask questions and then start to create like, Oh, how could it be this way? You know, from that constant feedback loop between myself and the environment and others. Right. Um, and as you get success in some of those things and successful, your, your thoughts are met with success and, and openness from you do it more and more and more. So it develops a leadership skill. You know, I don't know if I was born a leader, but that's certainly, you know, curious and that I'm an artist. So, you know, I was self kind of directed as a child creating art and, you know, art and business. How does that relate? Everybody would kind of sneer at that in the 80s when I was getting my degrees, right? But uh, it relates great because art is about creating structure for beauty to flow through. Business is about creating structure for energy and human motivation to flow through and create something great, you know, create something you can't do by yourself. Otherwise, why would you have a team or a group? So, you know, I think those kind of qualities definitely fed into my leadership. Other people come by in other ways. You know, there's many, many ways to be. That's how I came through it, I think. So you mentioned about having a team or having people around you because we really don't do anything solo at the end of the day when we really think about it, right? And, you know, consulting clients and and talking about 
people are always saying, you know, our people are our greatest asset. Right. Well, are they? Yeah. Can you prove that to me in some way? I had a previous guest on Dr. Keith Keating who did his dissertation around that very thing. Yeah. And how, how do you prove out that people are your number one asset? Mm. And I find that fascinating because people are what get projects done and they don't do that in a vacuum, right? Like when you think about the four elements of effective teaming and, and how people, you know, collaboration yeah. is like key. I know that you are gifted at building community. So can can you talk a little bit about that and how that feeds into success in the workplace? Yeah, yeah, sure. One thing I've been really lucky to have a lot of understanding of organizational systems through my organizational psychology education, right? That's really helped me. So it took it from being intuitive when I was running a studio for a very successful artist to, you know, and into the business world into how do we do this really thoughtfully? And so you have to have the structures there, you know, and be looking at it from a structural level, meaning um, what are the functions we need, you know, uh, to reach our greater purpose. So there's that whole thing that's running behind my head um, when I'm thinking about structuring and what we need. And and also those always change because the environment, as you say in your intro about a VUCA world, you always have to be kind of holding that tension around that's going to move. But the other tension, the way I look at people, um, I can certainly see people's flaws, of course, because I'm kind of a perfectionist and that's my thing to work on with a leader, high expectations. I learn quickly. I want them to learn quickly. Everybody processes in different ways. So my challenge is to be really sensitive to that. But I also like to see people's superpowers. And when I think about what needs to get done and especially when I was in academia um, leading, I grew, um, I created a couple of programs and then created the whole, you know, department around it and built that community. I really had to see like, what's that person's superpower and how can I, you know, put them in the right position so that they thrive so that this thing that needs to get done gets done, you know, but it has to be that win-win, you know, and I'm experiencing that now starting a nonprofit around what are the superpowers? Cause people are overwhelmed and the mantra is no, 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 you, you don't have to be good at everything. You're good at this and that will help us here. And even if it's down the road, it's not your time yet where you're going to shine and be the super, you know, but you're, but you're needed, you know, so it's not one size fits all right. Ever. And just to really see people and think about them developmentally really matters as a leader. Being exposed in in your career to so many different tools and models and frameworks, I love when you say, well, let's figure out their superpowers and what aligns so you get the, you know, they can make the greatest impact, but it's a win-win because what I'm kind of also hearing in that is you do want people engaged in meaningful work, right? So what would be some of the, the frameworks or models that you would recommend that would help a leader do that identifying of, okay, so what are the, you know, the superpowers here? Like what's going on and who would line up here best? And, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people will tend to go towards Gallup and they'll look at strengths finders, but 
I'm confident you've been exposed to so much. What would you, yeah. what would you recommend? I don't know if you're gonna like this answer. That's <laughs> you okay. like this answer, but people might like. So yes, Gallup and Strengths Feather, all those are good. Um, but you know what I find that gets in the way is leaders who aren't self-reflective. They don't know what's them and what's the other person, or they just project themselves onto other people, and it creates this like lack of empathy and lack of connection with the person, so they can't really see what their strengths are because they're not their own biases get in the way. So number one, any tool you use is not going to solve that problem. You could get results and be like, what is it about them? You know, um, because there's no sensitivity to difference. Right. So. Excellent feedback. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people are using the word empathy a lot. It's being thrown Mm -hmm. around a lot right now, but I really like leaders that are viewing empathy through a lens of leaning in, being very curious. Yeah. They want to raise their level of awareness and they bring some sensitivity to it. And they might even challenge their own social constructs, like their biases. So so excellent point on like, who is it and what's, what's being brought into this? Because our own biases can really cloud our judgment and we could totally miss it and blow it on building out a team, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. We see this all the time where leaders think, you know, the way they do performance ratings and hire people, it's really because they look like them or act like them or act like somebody they know, right? Which means this is really hard to get diversity, but yet it's that diversity they need to be stronger. You know, so much research around like, the, the strongest communication, the strongest network is the most diverse. But how can you do that if you're only comfortable relating to people who are just like you from your network, you know? So the model behind all that, though, is called use of self and self as instrument. And so you know that from our training courses, everything I do, it's always like when I, when I coach leaders, it's like you got to, you know, survey that inner landscape and what's getting in the way you know, of you really rising to the challenge, really connecting with people, especially a lot of leaders I coach are dealing with global organizations, you know, many different cultures and people and things like that. And I practice that myself because everybody gets in their own way. And are you willing to go there and own your own stuff and still be able to hold yourself as a good person? Because we all have those, um, you know, so I think that work is more, uh, you'll get more back from it than any other work you can do as a leader, right? And then of course, there's assessments that will help you better understand the person in front of you, but to hire by them, most assessments, like the theory is a little wonky beneath them. And like, I have a background in this and creating assessments and to do that is quite um, risky. It should be risky legally, like, you know what I mean? So the superpower thing, discovering someone's superpower is if you can actually really listen to them and have a dialogue with them and connect with them. And, you know, from that place of a deep awareness of your own values, your own foibles. And if you're hiring people just like you, because your ego can't handle somebody rising higher or being better at you than something else, you're going to have a very weak team. You know, you want to grow and hire other leaders. And I find that that's when I'm coaching people or whatever, like when there's problems in leadership. That's what's getting in the way. And it's gone in my way too. You know, I hope I caught it, but it certainly it gets in everybody's way once in a while, like knowing your blind spot. So yeah, 
And a great way to do that is to get feedback. I like to use the Zinger Folkman 360. I really love that. I use the BMAP I created um, because I love David Cantor's model of structural dynamics. And we just created an instrument around that to, you know, really, those are great ways to show not only sensitivity to difference in how we interact interpersonally, but our values we bring, the things we know that are, that we assume are well and good about how to do work together. It allows us to name them and then say, oh, great, we need that and we need this too. And how can we be complementary to each other? So I do use assessments, um, you know, but that's why, you know, I think it's important to do that self-work too, because then the assessment data is more meaningful and you're getting more out of it. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. (laughs) Use of self. Yeah. Because if I have a philosophy of you can't give away what you don't have. Right. You know, you you need the oxygen before the person next to you on the plane. Right. I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes. Leaders who are listening that might be interested in BMAP. Yeah. Thank you. You know, and learning learning more. um, Or to access some of your fabulous training um, as well. And especially if if anyone is interested in psychological safety in the workplace, which does talk about inclusion and diversity um, and several of the topics we've already raised. um, Because leaders don't even know, like we've done the scan, the fearless org scan um, with leaders and some of the best leaders and they're surprised by the results. And, you know, I'm thinking of one amazing, very resonant leader and saw some diversity and perceptions about whether it was safe to bring up a risk or okay to fail. And the issue of the lower psych safety was because they were such a role model. Nobody wanted to, you know, they, they admired this person so much. So, you know what I mean? And, and there's just so much to uncover and, and that self-awareness, even around one's strengths, like never, they're, they're very humble, never considered what's the impact of the fact that these people all look up to me as a mentor. You know, and how is that impacting, right? So it's on the positive side too. So the FOSS, the Fearless Org Scan really helped uncover that in the nicest way. So, yeah. I love the instrument. It's simplicity, but yet it's so powerful. And the interventions or workshops you can craft around those different data points are just, they're game-changing. They really are. Um, So I know... Prior to going on air, we were having um, a conversation and catching up. And so our listeners probably don't know, but like, to me, you are a rock star. You're the trifecta, the triple hat, because you've had corporate, entrepreneurialism, and academia experience. And I find that so powerful and so useful and inspiring, especially for women. Um, aspiring to move around, you know, in their careers. And so any advice or comment you want to make around, um, because I know you probably didn't deliberately set out to, I'm going to be the hat trick and do all three, you know, when you were 18, right? Um, Wouldn't it have been great if we had all been so smart? (laughs) But what would you like to say to that to give the listeners the hope and the inspiration of everything is possible, yeah. but yet it, it takes work. Yeah. None of that comes easy. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really true. And 
it's funny when I was really little, I did know I wanted a PhD for some reason, like in, in kindergarten, but then I was like, but I didn't want to be in academia because I was like, I don't know anything, you know? So I went to, to go into organizations in some way, but um, so it's funny how you have those little dreams, but I think the thing is there's all this stuff out there. Let me erase this myth of you have to be somewhere for a long time. I was raised with that, you know, and when I was coming up in the world, it was like, um, no generalist, you got to be specific, you know, a specialist. And now the generalist has come back and people look at my background like you and go, oh, that's good, you know, and, and you're a generalist yourself, right? Generalist with deep, deep pockets, right? So, but I think like we often hear messages and again, this use of self about what's possible and what's not possible for us, either from a bad teacher or just general norms in society or whatever it is. But I think, um, really working with what would I want it to look like and imagining things and having imagination and then taking risks, but with the help of those around you for like, for example, when I was working for the artist, um, that was a very low paying position. I learned a ton about business, but I also wanted to fly planes and I had no money, like very little money. It was very low paying. And I went to the airport and just said, Hey, I kind of have all these skills. Cause you know, with computers or whatever. And said, could I trade you help you in some way and, and trade it for lessons to fly airplanes. And they're like, we'll get, and I had a resume. I was like, you know, and they, they got back to me and they said, sure. And I worked for them and got lessons. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I didn't have this thing of like, that's not possible for me. You know, my issue is like, have I dreamed big enough in my life? You know, because I have my own limitations too. So like, do you know what you're passionate about? Do you know what you would love? And even a lot of the leaders I coach, especially now in the pandemic, everybody's in your sh their shadow a little bit. Some of the questions I ask, like make them see like, oh, wait, I didn't explore that possibility. Or I didn't, you know, because it shuts us down and is from fear you know, in pain. And I get where it comes from. Um, but like letting yourself in on that, you know, neuroscience shows us when we engage in hopeful, um, dreaming about a hopeful future, gratitude for what we have, appreciation of our own strengths. It literally opens up our aperture about what's possible. And, you know, for, for different reasons, I've had that ability to do that as well as like, you know, my, my own sort of practices of my spiritual practices, you know, have allowed me to do some of that. And, you know, this hopeful future, not that I don't get into the downside of that too. Right. But, but I think that's the thing to do is like, what is the dream? And then explore a little versus these negative messages of, Oh, I can't do that. Um, and I do think as, as a woman, because of certain imposed limitations on me, I've had to be more creative and I've had to explore different things because I wasn't as a leader, especially those, those gender biases come in and you have to be a little bit more creative, a little more agile, a little more, you know, to, to actually be able to live out your dreams. So that's actually been a help in exploring new things in some ways, you know, and hard in others. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we typically have listeners who yeah. We'll ask questions around mentorship or mm -hmm. coaching and any tips, you know, for allyship with male colleagues. I'd love to have your voice in the room on that topic. Yeah. Um, my first exposure to mentorship was when I um, was uh, assisting for an org psychologist 
at a major auto company. Um, and we were in the room facilitating the session about how they wanted more women in leadership. And this very refined looking gentleman in a suit literally got up straight in his suit and said, I can't mentor any women because my wife's going to think and everybody else here is going to think I'm sleeping with them and walked out of the room. And so I think that some of that, that was in the, um, the late nineties, but some of that, that feel of that is still there, you know? So how other companies have solved this is, you know, trying to even the scales about how men in leadership position mentor everybody, like, you know, don't go to the golf course and not invite people, you know, have those mentoring meetings in the, in the company lunchroom, have those, you know, in ways that just legitimized it and actively talking about it, making it safe for men as well to not get the reputation, you know, this thing for them. And I think for men to consciously say, who am I mentoring? Who do I confide in and talk to? Is it just the guys, you know, because there is that kind of, I think that sadly in 2022, that stigma is kind of still out there, you know, and, um, and then, and then be talking about this actively. Um, I've done a lot of mentoring, set up mentoring programs and things like this, but this, this matters. And then for women, it's like, you know, um, I've mentored a lot of women and I think that helping other women along is really key for women to proactively. And I've helped people and they don't even know that I'm their mentor because they don't always see me as a mentor and that's fine too. It's fine. But like, you know what I mean? You don't expect to get a lot of credit in some ways, but I think that is one of the ways I've actually built community too, is that generosity to try and help others, you know, and help them overcome and normalize it. It's not you, it's society. I love that thing that came out saying, stop telling women they have imposter syndrome, start listening to them, stop doubting them, you know? So, you know, I think women just being really proactive to understand and name things and, you know, help each other. That's enough pie for everybody. Yes. Yeah. I I actually love mentoring and I usually pick one one male and one female emerging leader every two years. And I journey with them for about two years. And I just, it's so rewarding. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, and um, I, I actually get the whole thing about back in the day. So like in the early eighties, um, when I was in a corporate setting, um, I, I got to an executive level in like my late twenties, like mid to late twenties, which is like unheard of. Right. Yeah. Um, even now unheard of, but, but I remember having my meals in the executive dining room and I'd be at the table by myself because none of the men wanted to sit and talk and socialize because naturally their wives will think something is going on. And, and I was married too. Yeah. Um, so that, that didn't help me. <laughs> And um, I, I remember those days and, you know, and part of, like, I get it. Part of that's human nature, right? And people um, have fears and concerns and things. And, and some people have taken advantage of situations, right? Sure. But I definitely want to encourage that you have not if you ask not, right? right. So getting out there and asking and inquiring and, observing people and do you happen to notice a male leader in your company will take lunch and other things with female colleagues you know so now you have 
you know, a frame of reference of, okay, this person may be open. And, but again, it, it comes back to asking right? yes. and inquiring because we know like even in coaching the, um, may I offer my opinion on that? May yeah. I, da, 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 rather than like, so here's a whole bunch of unsolicited advice right. for you. <laughs> right? Exactly. And um, I think for the, the person wanting the mentoring to, I did a survey once in a company I was at about this and the complaint of some of the mentors were, is that the, the mentee wasn't that proactive. They just wanted to kind of sit at the feet and gain wisdom. Right. So I think as a, as somebody wants a mentor, like why that leader, you know, and you're, you're, you're naming some really important things. Do you see the mentoring other people? Would they be a good mentor for you? You know, if they're mentoring others, maybe. Right. So that's brilliant. Um, And then what would you, what is it about, you know, getting clear about, even if it's just the smallest thing, what's interesting about them that you'd like to know that they can hook into, you know, you know, like if, if mm-hmm. they've said some element of strategy or you've seen them, you've seen them accomplish something in their field, like in, in the company, what is it? What's the questions you would ask, you know, being thoughtful about that person's time, you know, and approaching them, you know, it just makes it easier for the person you want to mentor you to then connect with you about something that's already interesting to them that they're really good at that you might want to learn about. Absolutely. So I typically close by asking people what they are currently reading. However, you yourself are an author. Oh. (laughs) So I would love to close by having you share a little bit about your book. Oh, yeah. Um, So I wrote a book um, called Which Bird Gets Heard, How to Have Impact Even in a Flock um, with my co-author, John Ullman. And it came out of me being in so many as an organizational development person, um, strategic meetings where I was doing process facilitation or facilitating the conversation about what their big reorg strategy should be. And seeing uh, one person say a great thing, and then it would go around the circle and then no one would hear them. And another person would say the same thing and be like, oh, that's great. You know, so I was like, why does someone get heard and somebody else not get heard? And we did research on it. And interviewed a bunch of people about presence, like who do you attend to? Who do you really listen to? And that's where the model that the book is based on. And um, we created an assessment instrument called the I created called the Authentic Presence Inventory. And it's based on purpose, poise, projection, and impact. Those are the four variables that came out of that work. And then I created the assessment and um, tested it statistically too. But that's what the book is about. And the book is great, especially for new managers, because I have people coming to me saying, oh, I did the thing that BAT does, you know, which is about getting feedback and BAT's take soundings of their environment. You know, so we put it in a fable, kind of like who moved my cheese kind of fable format to just make it really digestible. So that's the book. They're using it a lot in schools here now um, about, you know, getting heard and influence. Yeah. I will absolutely be putting a link <laughs> to the book, um, but also a link to the assessment. Let's make yeah. sure we we have that out there because, you know, uh, as I wrap up, you have so much to offer to our listeners. Just hearing our conversation today, I know is impactful and helpful, but I also know that from formal mentoring programs to tools and resources, you know, I can't say enough about the psychological safety. I really want to encourage listeners to reach out to Catherine. Um, Thank you. 
Yeah. Well, again, thank you, Catherine, for sharing, you know, parts of your story and generously giving of your time um, to pour into the women in leadership in STEM fields that tune into the show. Um, It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Kimberly. It's been great to get to have this conversation with you and get to know you more too. and, And I hope your listeners get something out of it. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the She's Up Leadership Podcast. As always, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can subscribe to She's Up on Apple, Google, Spotify, Audible, Alexa, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm your host and executive producer, Dr. Kimberly Jackson, founder and principal of Coach Kimberly International. Special thanks to our marketing manager, Sandy Lomas, and to audio engineer, Joseph Keenan, with Short Stack Studios in New York. We invite you to join us in our commitment to advancing women in leadership in STEM fields. To learn more about the She's Up movement, visit us at coachkimberly.com.